Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Adrienne Herbert is an author, podcaster, and wellness influencer, amongst other things, who's best known for an idea that she's popularized called the Power Hour. She's here today to share how and why self-care is brain care. Over to you, Adrienne. I think like many people now, I do so many different things and I'm, you know, multi-hyphenate and I have a multifaceted digital entrepreneurial kind of portfolio career. So what does that actually look like? It means I have a concept, as you say, the power hour. I have been living and breathing and talking about this for five years. Feels like more. Uh, I live and breathe the power hour myself every day. So definitely come on to talk about that. I have the podcast. I've written a book about the concept, but I've also worked in the fitness and wellness industry for almost a decade. And I'm also the director of innovation and performance at the UK's leading fitness app, Fit. I'm also a mother, mother to a nine-year-old son, homeschooling in lockdown. So when you ask me, what do you do? You know, what's it all about? It's, it's often hard to kind of distill it into one thing, but the thread that ties it all together is that I am a professional encourager. I want to help people, motivate them, encourage them to not only focus on their goals, reclaim their time, you know, unlock their potential, achieve whatever they want to achieve, but actually not just saying, okay, here's an inspirational story or here's a motivational tip, but what about practical application? What are the tools? What are the habits? What are the kind of, what's the blueprint for high performance and how can we all access it? Love that. And I also love your your reference to being a multi-hyphenate. That is um, a term that I actually only uh, discovered about six to nine months ago on another podcast called Hyper Curious. It's fascinating because it has suddenly helped me find like an identity as well. Um, much like you, I've got lots of different things, run three different companies. They do very different things in their own right. And um, people like to have one identity for people. And so you're the person that does that thing. Wasn't expecting to take a conversation here, but actually really curious about just having a, a conversation with you about identity as well. Have you found that to be like a personal struggle and like not just a sense of identity of how other people try and define you, but how you have learned to define yourself and how that has an impact on your personal self-worth and mental health? I think we often confuse what we do with who we are. So people like to, yeah, exactly say, what do you do? Because then they can put in a box in their mind, well, if you do that, you must be this kind of person. If you are a doctor, you must be an academic, you must be trustworthy, you must be diligent. They can assign characteristics and traits to you that typically they would associate with that profession or with that that personality type. So I think it's less necessarily about you know, being able to define what you do, who you are, and more, yeah, other people's expectations and perceptions. So the, I think that the world, the way it's moving with innovation, with digital, I think people are starting to accept more that actually it's not a jack of all trades, master of none. I think that old rhetoric, just pick one thing, become niche, stay in your lane. I think that's gone. I hope so anyway, because what you do doesn't necessarily define who you are, but if you can integrate the two and do something that is purpose-led and and you can monetize that, then that blend, I guess, is what a lot of people are trying to achieve. How have you applied that then for yourself? Because 
I guess at the heart of everything, wellness is like the principle that drives you, right? So, you know, it's this idea of like looking after yourself, prevention is the cure, etc. The real key is learning, actually. I think learning is something that I became a voracious learner, but later in life, because I realized that actually it's just all about skill acquisition and application. Not knowing is a great place to start. And asking questions showcases to me anyway, that your mindset, you have a willingness to learn and to improve and to iterate. So the more I've done that, the way it's paid off for me, I guess, in my career, in my life, in everything that I do, whether it's training for an endurance event, whether it's learning about how I can improve my own sleep or my own diet, whether it's building a business or a career or finance, whatever it is, learning, learning, iterating, improving and application, trial and error. That's fundamentally, I think what has given me a disproportionate advantage to others is that I will be consistent. I constantly learn. I will just keep going basically. I just keep you're putting in the work. And I think the thing that I think is, is an issue right now is people are being missold this idea that, you know, dream for it, wish for it, don't burn out self-care. And that is really, really important. But I think what you have to balance it with is, okay, I'm a high performing person. I want to achieve all these things and I'm not going to do them at the detriment of my health. So if I want to be able to do both, then I do believe there's an element of knowing when to start, when to continue, when to stop, when to work hard, when to push harder and when to when to step back. I think balancing the two is definitely a challenge, but I see I see merit in both. This idea of work-life balance. When anyone ever asks me that, it's a very common question entrepreneurs get asked and I just say there isn't such a thing in my opinion, there's just life. But I wonder if that is more of a multi-hyphenate attitude because everything is seeping in in all these different places. There isn't just one thing you're doing, so it's hard to just switch off. I think the way the the world is, the way we now communicate and connect and the demands on our time mean that regardless of whether you're a multi-hyphenate, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you work for a company, I think there is an expectation of us to be available. So an expectation that someone can send you a message and that you will read it and reply. And it's brilliant and great for so many reasons because we can be connected. But I think that is one reason that it's hard for people if they wish to separate you know, your work and your life or your work and home and these different categories in which we we have in our time but also i think from a mindset perspective the way i describe it in my book i talk about if you imagine a red ball of play-doh and a blue ball of play-doh and one is the work and one is the life and then you roll the ball into a marble and then you try and extract one from the other it's virtually impossible and that's the way i i believe my life is now it's very blended this marble of you know i enjoy running and i enjoy um endurance training so that's something i'm doing and i might be listening to a book about biomechanics and running i might then research that and incorporate some of the research into an article I'm writing or into a book or interview someone on my podcast, which is my work. So it's all blended together. So of course we can't say to people, well, you know, if you're going to have a multi-career, you just have to accept that you'll never have downtime or you'll never have time off or, or the other uh, lie that is sold, which is do what you love and you'll never work again. I think it's kind of the opposite. Do what you love and you'll find that you're always working. And if you can enjoy that, then great. But of course there'll still be times when it is work. So yeah, I'm not sure if that completely answers the question, but it's for me, it's definitely that marble approach. Yeah, but it's interesting because, you know, you talk a lot about self-care and the thing that we talk about at Heights is, you know, is brain care, which very similar, right? It all starts at the top. So you look after your most important organ and everything else flows. We do this work because we're trying to encourage people to think about wellness 
with regards to their brain, not just their body. Been an amazing revolution over the last 10 years, thanks to wellness influencers like yourself getting people moving. But I'd love to know where you see self-care practices, routines, regimes and stuff, where they align with, you know, how to take care of your brain. And I guess where this is all going is boundaries. Well, to give a little bit of context, because there's quite a few things actually that I want to talk about and why I care, I guess, about brain health and about self-care so much. 10 years ago, actually 10 years ago this month, um, I was newly wed and newly pregnant and had a baby on the way. And my husband at the time was very young, healthy and fit. And one night out of the blue, out of nowhere, we were talking in bed, we fell asleep. And 30 minutes later, he fell out of bed Uh, having a seizure on the floor and he had a spontaneous brain hemorrhage. The neurologist in in the ward in the hospital that took care of him never found a cause and could never give us a reason. But then as a result of the brain hemorrhage, he developed epilepsy. Epilepsy is an umbrella, but there's lots of different kinds of epilepsy and different trigger things and different medications you can take. And it's different for everyone. And I was 22 years old. I did not know about brain hemorrhages. I didn't know about epilepsy medications. I didn't know about the functions of the brain and how they're affected by sleep and sleep deprivation or alcohol or diet. And so as a new mother, as a, you know, the brand newborn baby, I think back on that time now, I was so anxious and afraid actually, because I thought, why did this happen? Is it going to happen again? What could we do to prevent it? Is there anything you could do to prevent it? Some people would argue, no, it just happens. Other people would argue, yes, there are things we can do to take care of our brains, of our health. And so I really went, you know, kind of deep on that. So did he. And we looked at everything, you know, from diet to sleep, as I said, and I really, I guess, found the things that universally you can't you can't deny so sleep being one sleep and looking at that and saying what happens to us when we are sleep deprived the long-term effects of us you know trying to survive essentially with very little sleep and so I kind of did a lot of learning about that and I really wanted to you know I'm not a scientist I'm not a doctor I didn't want to go out and say to others do this do that but what I did think was I can start with myself I can start husband my child the people in my life you can take responsibility for your own health. I think I took this kind of extreme ownership approach that said, okay, if I know I can learn that these foods or sleeping a certain amount of hours a night or resting my mind and resting my eyes and trying to have white space, trying to have downtime, everything from movement to sound, walking, journaling, writing, running, let me try everything, you know, cold therapy, showers, like be open-minded, try things out. And ultimately I think as we learn more, and as, as you say, in the next decade, I think this stuff's going to be so much more mainstream. I wish it was more mainstream. I'm always surprised because, and you'll have the same thing, I'm now living in a wellness world. Our listeners on this show are exactly the same. They'll be listening to a brain care podcast because they want to learn how their brain works and listen to people with expertise and insights. That's not most of the population. And it's really important, but it is going to permeate and it will become mainstream. And that is one of those rising tides lifts all boats kind of thing. You need a lot of people moving that, that message forward a lot of the time regularly. I would love to know, what are your top three tips on how to take space and make self-care or brain care a priority in your life? 
Yes. Okay. So my first one, of course, is going to be my power hour, which is the first hour of every day. I start that first hour intentionally. I reclaim that hour. I try to avoid and eliminate distractions. And so don't go on my phone, things like that. But I also take that hour to do something that I want to do for myself often it's running or stretching or, or reading, but I use the first hour because it's the first, you know, it's the first thing. It's, it's how I'm going to feel first thing in the morning. It's the, it's the information that I'm going to see. It's going to go into my brain first thing in the morning. So yeah, I start with the power hour. Second tip would be for people to create white space in your schedule, in your diary, in your life. Do you have white space? That is not a gap of time that can be filled with an overflow. So like time to catch up on the work that you haven't done or time to research more or read or actual white space where there's nothing. There's nothing in the diary. There's no demands on your time. You know, if you think back and you look at great thinkers and great leaders and people who, Albert Einstein, a good example, he would sit apparently for eight hours in a chair and think. He wasn't reading. He wasn't listening to a podcast. He wasn't writing. He was thinking for eight hours. I think many people would struggle to do that for 10 minutes. So white space is something that I would really, really, really highly recommend that we try to cultivate. And then the third one would be get outside all year round, if you can, whether it's 10 minutes, whether it's an hour, you know, I've got a young son, as I said, and we walk to school and we've walked the same route. We go through this, we're very fortunate where we live. We walk through this little green area. We call it the secret way, but it's just a little path through the woods. And we've walked through that green space every day before school, after school, this is pre-lockdown, wind, rain, snow, sun, autumn, you name it. And so everything will change. You're breathing in the microbes when the soil changes, the mushrooms, the moss, the leaves, all of it. And again, I'm not uh, an expert on this, but I truly believe that having that every single day, seeing it with your eyes, the daylight in your eye, but also what you're breathing in, yeah, it's doing good for the gut microbes, for the brain. So that's my third one is go outside somewhere muddy, somewhere leafy every single day in every season. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Height started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So, for weekly science-backed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. See you next week. <laughs>